Hey, everybody. Welcome. <laughs> Damn it. I'm sorry. I tried to hold it in. I didn't do the three, two, one. I looked right at Tim. Yeah. I'm like, Sometimes just two, locked one. eyes and hit me with a, hey, everybody. <laughs> Sometimes I don't know if to laugh or just get furious. <laughs> I'm so sorry. When I do three, two, one. Just, yeah, just your stereotypical, like, same things that, like. He you just, just stared at He was like, <clears throat> you just, you, hey, everybody. I was like, oh, no. It scared just, me. You just know what's coming and you know it's going to be terribly awkward. <laughs> And you're just cringing internally. I love it. All right. Sorry. Try again. Let's try again. Now I have no clue what to say. What do I say to these people now that Josh has told me it's cringy and awkward? You know what? You do it. Go ahead. He's in your head. I'm not doing this. This is the intro. He's not cutting any of this. Let's hear (laughs) it. This is a perfect introduction, actually. This is my favorite intro by far. What can you do? Okay. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Conquering Columbus podcast. I am your co-host, Mike. We got Tim and Josh here, and we're not going to talk about the weather. What else do you talk about? That's, that's all I, I guess got. let's just get to the episode then. Right. If we're not going to talk about the weather, what can we do? Uh, but yeah, things have been things have been going good here at the Conquering Columbus offices. And it is currently, what is it, the end of April already? Dude, yeah, we're, we're pushing May. We're hustling. I'm getting my second COVID vaccine I get mine tomorrow, tomorrow morning. I'm terrified. My first one was hell. We talked about that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I almost died. So they're like, the second one's worse. And I'm like, I don't think that's possible. So. <laughs> Please no. I say you're brave, dude. I'll be honest about it. People will probably be mad at me for it, but I haven't gotten the first one yet. And it's because I had COVID. And I kind of just think like, well, if it's for my own personal benefit. I see the logic. My, honestly, I, I got tested so many times. I got the antibody test, all that stuff. And I never had it. So my brain goes to, I must be immune or whatever. You know, whatever science leads to that. It's not very scientific, but mm-hmm. logic says you haven't got it this long. Why put something in you that's going to break you, right? But I did it anyway, and then I got broken. So now that just reassured this this flawed logic or potentially flawed logic. And now I'm like, I'm halfway there. Let's just get it and finish it off and get my 5G or whatever. Right, so I can right. talk to you're, Bill you're Gates tracking, directly. You're yeah, whatever. Chip. Honestly, I'm just ready for it to be over with, man. Like this, this thing has just ruined so much. And I'm sure so many people feel that way, but mm-hmm. I don't have the answers. Who knows? This time next don't year. Don't take my advice at yeah, all. Yeah. <laughs> Do whatever. Follow. Follow the recommendations of the experts Mm -hmm. and hopefully you're not on your bathroom floor for two days. (laughs) Uh, What a good intro this turned into. Fun fact, I was totally fine. But okay, today on the show, we've got uh, Duncan and James Forbes of North Country Charcuterie. And I want to apologize to Duncan and James because I called them North County Charcuterie for like half the episode. (laughs) It's not North County, it's North Country. Hey, but we got it right. Right. Ours are tricky. Those things will hide sometimes. Right, right, right. You know, it's like mm-hmm. I, I have an accent that's like the opposite of a Boston accent. So instead of saying ours really hard, oh my I gosh, say them. It's a San Diego accent. No, here we, we got go. <laughs> San Diego has no accent whatsoever. But uh, no, Duncan and James were awesome. Josh wasn't here. He was in South Africa. Mm-hmm. But uh, it was me and Tim. And they brought in they brought in a whole bunch Samples. of salamis and yeah. chorizo. And uh, like it, it was all really good stuff. So they're a family business. Mm-hmm. It's, it's it's a cool story on how to how to start something with people you love and, and something you're passionate about. Yeah. So hope you guys enjoy this episode. And we'll be right back. This is Conquering Columbus. Hey there, Conquerors. Jenny Brittenbauer of Jenny's Splendid Ice Creams. I'm truly never comfortable. When I'm comfortable, I'm bored. I just have to keep going. Only when you're a little bit scared are you in a place where you're about to learn something. We're explorers, and explorers are making discoveries because they are going places where people haven't before. Urban Meyer. There's one guarantee in this world, and that's hard work will be rewarded. And hard work, you have to embrace discomfort. I love how you said that, live uncomfortably. Donato's Jane Abel. We have a umbrella idea of agape capitalism, which is 
is about doing business and doing it with love and giving back to the community. And I believe in our products, but more importantly, I believe in our people. Pelotonia CEO, Doug Oldman. There's this genuine pride for things that were born and raised in Columbus. And that's awesome. At the same time, there's this beautiful Midwest humility. People don't necessarily care about who gets credit. Cameron Mitchell of Cameron Mitchell Restaurants. One of our goals is to be better today than we were yesterday and better tomorrow than we are today. And that goal stays the same 24-7, 365. This is Conquering Columbus. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Conquering Columbus podcast. I'm Mike. We got Tim over here. Hey, Mike. I already got Tim laughing because I uh, every time we start, I do this three, two, one thing. I love it. But, you know, it's going to get cut out later anyways. So I, it's probably pointless at this point, but I do it just to, so that I can, you know, when I used to edit it, I would go back and find the three, two, one. So I knew where to start. I like, I like that you keep it up. Uh, you know, for well, tradition's it's sake. It's tradition's sake. Yeah. I've already done it, you know, And speaking and, of traditions, I can't make fun of you today for San Diego because Josh is not here. So it doesn't right, feel right. You don't right. have anyone to team up. Uh, yeah, I'll just leave you. I'll so, leave you alone today. I'm glad we got it in there at least. Yeah. Uh, but uh, today on the show, we've got a couple guests with us. Uh, Mr. Duncan and James Forbes. And Duncan is co-owner and James is the head chef at North County Charcuterie, a family-owned company handmaking cured meats here in Columbus. And they partner with companies like Wolf's Ridge, Debone Vineyards. Did I say that right, guys? Debonay. Debonay Vineyards. Debonay Vineyards. Yeah, you didn't, <laughs> know, you didn't take French class, I think. Debonay Vineyards. <laughs> uh, McDowell Farms, Blue Jackets Dairy, and others to produce and distribute their products. They use nearly 100% local ingredients and put a premium on partnering with local businesses. So we're really excited to chat with Duncan and James to learn more about how North County Charcuterie got its start and everything they have going on today. I'm also very excited that they brought us samples to try. <laughs> so welcome to Conquering Columbus, gentlemen. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks a lot. It's great to be here. Yeah, it's exciting to have both of you. And and probably the best thing to do since we've got uh, two voices and no faces, if you guys could just introduce yourselves really quickly, uh, your name and who you are, so that everybody knows whose voice is whose. Sure. Uh, this is James Forbes. I'm the Salami Swami. Created the company about uh, seven years ago with the help of my mom, and Duncan joined us a little bit later. The Salami Swami. Is that like, has that been from the start or does that grown over time? Uh, just about the start. Uh, a friend of mine from high school came up with the name and uh, we kind of ran with it. There you go. So was your family doing this before you started that or where did that name come from? If uh, I'm not sure where he came <laughs> from. He was just, uh, he loves the, he loves coming up with names and uh, he's a creative guy. Yeah, he kind of picked your career guy. path for you. Yeah, and he just picked it out, picked it out of the hat, I guess. And my name's Duncan Forbes. I'm the salami monger at North Country Charcuterie. So as James was mentioning, we've kind of uh, con gone with that original name. And uh, so I'm the salami monger. Our mom is the salami mama. That's that uh, pretty straightforward. Completely. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing else you could go with there. No. And uh, she wears that title proudly. She, she, she refers to it as her best title in her entire career. Together, we're the salami squad. Salami squad. Okay. I was, I was trying to think of a uh, pun involving three musketeers, but there's just nothing. You can't. You got to be careful with You can't too. mix salami and musketeers. Mm -hmm. uh, You'll be careful with the uh, salami jokes. Right. Yeah. You know, we'll try and avoid them throughout the podcast here, but uh, no, no promises. promises. Yeah. Have you guys always lived in Columbus then? Uh, yeah, just about. We were raised here in Columbus. Uh, I was born in Cleveland. Family moved down here for uh, my father's wine distribution company. And Duncan was born here in Columbus, and then uh, both Duncan and I lived out of state for a handful of years during college and then post-college. And so you guys are both brothers. I'm guessing that business, going into business together wasn't always the plan, was it? No, not at all. No. <laughs> this is Duncan. Uh, no, we, we, James had already alluded to our father had a wine distributor with his brother. And that was started by our grandfather out of Cleveland. So we grew up in a family business environment. So 
I think that has enabled us to feel more comfortable with the idea, especially, you know, in the beginning. But, you know, we had, when James started his culinary career in Columbus, we had often, and I'd worked for various catering companies over the years, just as side jobs. And we had joked often about opening a restaurant together, but had never really seriously considered it. It was a lot of ideas. And then all of this kind of, we all, we kind of both backed into this adventure. (laughs) Our sponsor is Waveform Music Group. Andy and Carlin have been working with us to take the production of Conquering Columbus to the next level, and Josh and I cannot be happier with the results. Outside of podcast production, Andy and Carlin are experts in songwriting, music production, and sonic branding for companies of all sizes. And to learn more about them, head to their website, createwaveforms.com. That is createwaveforms.com, and tell them Conquering Columbus sent you. So I think this is the perfect, I'm glad you guys are on, because this is a question I've had and it's something I've been dealing with in the last year or so. And maybe it's just the old man in me. Why did charcuterie boards just blow up and become, it's almost annoying. Like, <laughs> no offense to you guys, but yeah. I, I mean, I'm, I'm a kid, I'm a product of, of Lunchables, uh-huh. you know, and yeah. I've always loved a good Lunchable. That's basically a charcuterie board. I mean, it's literally Exactly. Like- and as I've gotten older, my Lunchables have gone from, you know, the pre-made ones to- Do you think it was Lunchables? Could Lunchables have been the factor? <laughs> like, as we grew up, yeah. everyone grew up on Lunchables, so we're like- I resonate with charcuterie boards because that's they look th- like That's what I'm saying. Board. And I'm hoping maybe you can answer it for me because I'm almost annoyed at how elaborate they're getting. And I think if I open Instagram, I don't scroll on like doom scroll on Instagram often, but when I do, it's, it's, I get there's charcuterie makes it in there. So why, what has caused this explosion in fancy meat, cheese and Lunchables? You know, that, I, that's a great question. And, and I think we're, we're really wondering that ourselves. I'm sure you're happy about uh, it. But of course. Yeah. I mean, have, it. yeah. It's good for business. Yes. Yeah. The, I think a lot of it has to do with it's an approachable creative outlet for people. Everybody's been at home way more the last year than ever before. Just a product of craziness and, at home. <laughs> yeah. So they, that you makes know, sense. I never thought about that. Yeah. That's my theory on yeah. it. And it's also, indicative of why a company like North Country Charcuterie can even exist. Charcuterie had been trending towards higher quality, more thoughtfully made creative products for the last, you know, 10 to 15 years. And so I think this Instagram sensation is in some cases, well, hopefully it's not a culmination, but it's a really outcome of a lot of, of, of that excitement. I don't want to go too negative on it, but I do also get annoyed. Yeah, and I, and, and I don't mean <laughs> by to be, some of it. Yeah, I don't mean to be like the old man or whatever. Yeah. But it just it just seemed like out of nowhere. It was just it, it almost felt like I was missing. Like, what am I missing on this? You know? Yeah. Um, like I said, mm-hmm. as I've gotten older, I, I enjoy good crackers and cheese combo. Um, and I, as I've gotten older, I get like a little bit fancier, like spicy cheese, a nicer cracker. But I'm seeing this stuff that's you know three, $500, like these elaborate Yeah, the grazing tables. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. So I'm not, not hating. I was just curious if there was like one, you know, did somebody turn it into a dance or, you know, you know, like a TikTok, like what made it this phenomenon that, that I've been seeing? Or maybe I'm just an old man and I'm just happening to like recognize something that's been around for a long time. One of the things I think it is too, is a lot of people have created these side hustle jobs, Mm -hmm. especially here in Columbus. It's really amazing to see there's a, there's, probably a dozen different people that have created these little specialty catering companies during the pandemic as a, as maybe a replacement to lost income or completely switching out of their, it was a side hustle and now it's their full-time gig, uh, which is really neat and exciting to, to see, 
you know, we've got our products in with a couple of those companies, not all of them. I'm working on more. Um, and But, you know, just again, the general excitement around charcuterie, you know, we're happy to be where we are. Yeah, that has to be good for you guys. Yeah. So how did you guys even get into the charcuterie business in the first place? Like we mentioned before, I was a chef for about 10 years here in Columbus and uh, doing my apprenticeship through uh, Columbus State. I was stationed over at uh, the Rocky Fork Hunt and Country Club in Gahanna. And my chef over there, Josh Wickham, was dabbling in cured meats and playing around with it. And, you know, I was a new chef and new cook and was just curious to learn about it. And then throughout the my career moving forward, uh, I just sort of continued to have an interest in it more on the French side, more of the cookings, the cooked meats style of things. And then uh, it was about seven years ago, uh, around Christmas time, I was sort of frustrated with where my career was going and wanted to take more control of where I was headed. And I saw this growing interest with cured meats and charcuterie across the country. And no one in Columbus and no one in Ohio at the time was really doing it on the more craft level that I wanted to do. So I sort of brainstormed with my mom over a glass of bourbon one night and I said, well, why don't we do this? Why don't we try and uh, create a company out of it? And we bought a little reach-in refrigerator or like household refrigerator off Craigslist for a hundred bucks and then a meat grinder and started doing more and more at home and curing maybe five, 10 pounds of meat at a time. Uh, after work, after working four till noon at the Hilton downtown, and it just sort of grew from there. And shortly after getting into that, Duncan moved back to town and was looking for his next uh, activity or next career. And was just he had more uh, sort of business background than I did. And I started giving him tasks on things to accomplish each day while I was at work and it just continued to grow from there and we moved into a commissary kitchen and then got Ohio Department of Agriculture inspection and it's just continued to roll and grow and expand and then we went full time on it what 4 years ago that sounds about right i don't <laughs> and that's, struggling to remember yeah that's really when it took <laughs> off was when we had our first non family member uh, employed in the company and Duncan got out of the kitchen and got on the road and started selling selling the products we're going to take a quick break here to thank one of our sponsors, the Burlett Family Foundation. The Burlett Family Foundation is committed to serving as a trusted partner and resource to organizations striving to improve our community here in Columbus. All right, let's get back to the episode. So what does a, what does a day in the life at North Country look like? Well, I, I can North say County. on my side. North County, sorry. North it's, Country. So I should, have, I should have said that earlier. I apologize. The name of the company is North Country Charcuterie. North Country? Oh, so I was right. So I've been wrong the whole time. Correct. <laughs> so I, I, meant to, I meant to correct that earlier on. Hey, uh, I but win this now, one. But now, we're, yeah. now we're, I forgot to well, mention that earlier. There we go. We're gonna, I'm going to have to go back and Not redo anymore, the whole we, intro. Not anymore. We Everything's going to have to be redone. Nope, you just have to change your name now. Stop it. Yeah, again. it is a joke in our family, actually. Our aunts and uncles can't call the company the right name either. Mm-hmm. You're not alone uh, with that. Okay. You did pronounce charcuterie properly, which right. is, I, I That's mean, a big step. you should be proud of that. Well, you know, I, I, it's, it's a little embarrassing because I write the outline and I feel like nobody ever, nobody ever pinged me on that. Mm-hmm. But I've I get, been, I do that sometimes with only in CBUS. It's CBUS is like a very Columbus abbreviated thing, not mm-hmm. outside the city. So when bigger brands reach out, they, a lot of people will say like only Incubus as like the band. So mm-hmm. I get that like pretty, pretty often. <laughs> like, like I'm the only Incubus fan of all time. And I'm like, mm-hmm. 
Almost, you almost got it. That's it was funny. Close. But it's it's more entertaining than anything for me. I'm like, yeah. But we, we missed. So okay, going back to the question, what's a day in, in yeah, life? Yeah, what's a day in like life look like? You know, North as country a, charcuterie. Yeah, yeah. Both of our roles at this point are completely different. different. So you, James, if you want to start with yours and my day starts in the kitchen at 7 a.m. Okay. Uh, we are under U.S. Department of Agriculture inspection. We have to work during their hours. What is that? What does that entail? Uh, so the government's words on it are you are provided 40 free hours of inspection a week. Okay. So we are required to work between 6 and 2.30 p.m. That's our eight hours a day. Basically, it means that the USDA inspector is in our plan every single day, watching what we do, making sure we're doing what we say we're doing, and making every making sure product we're putting out safe for consumers. Why Why would you want that as opposed to like a normal food plant? I'm assuming that's not in every plant, right? Most food plants, yes. Oh, okay. Every yeah. So in in the United States, if you're process if you're a meat processor above a certain volume, uh, then you're required to have Department of Agriculture inspection. Okay. Could be state, could be federal. Uh, for us specifically, we want to be able to sell across the country, so we are required to then have USDA inspection. Uh, James had mentioned the food business incubator, commissary kitchen we were working out before. There, we had state inspection, which restricted us to only selling within Ohio. Okay. Right? That makes me feel better about and eating it's, food. It's actually the same thing, yeah, like it, like because I did an internship at a food distribution plant, and okay. they distributed and also processed onions, potatoes, those types of things. So they had someone on site from the USDA all day. And that person would go through and like they'd check temperatures on the food, make sure it's being stored at the proper temperature, make nice. sure like all this stuff so that when it gets to you and your plate, you don't have to worry about it being full of salmonella or hysteria like or anything else crazy. Nice. Well, good work, USDA. I like that. <laughs> right, there you go. Sometimes the government does good things, uh, but sorry, we're sidetracked. It just, you know, I think something that's, I think people are often surprised to hear though, is that there is a USDA inspector in our facility daily. Mm -hmm. And it actually took us close to a year and a half to ob obtain that uh, level of inspection and approval uh, because you have to, go, you know, there's a lot of hoops to jump through and, and, you know, I think it really does also create a barrier to entry for a lot of new companies. You know, a lot of the regulations are written uh, by people in industry or there's, you know, there's kind of a back and forth to put between the regulators and industry and it really benefits larger companies, but right. it's, and it's very difficult for small companies like us to get in, in, the, in yeah. the space. Do you guys have to pay to have that person on site? No, the 40 free hours of inspection, we do not. Uh, if we want to work on a federal holiday, on a weekend, uh, a second shift or outside past 2.30 PM, we do have to pay them. Mm. So larger companies will do that, you know, so they'll run second shift, they'll run on holidays, run on weekends. But for us, it's really cost prohibitive uh, to do that at our scale. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. So regular day, these days, uh, training a new employee in the kitchen. So I'm there at seven and uh, we make about 200 pounds of salami. Today we made 250 pounds of salami, smoked 150 pounds of bacon and did a lot of dishes. Then also our packaging ladies were, they packaged probably two or 300 pounds worth of product all before 2.30. And for me working, I mean, I've my role's really evolved and kind of, it's a pendulum swinging back and forth kind of based on the needs of the moment. Uh, so, you know, I'm primarily responsible for sales and marketing and business development. Although now uh, we've, we've, we're selling so much more online. You know, I'm not, I would, I would often be, you know, 2019, I was on the road, work in a different city, working with our distributors or restaurants or chefs and, and stores, pitching our products to different uh, accounts, trying to expand the company regionally and also nationally. 
And then, you know, 2020 that I was grounded and so switched to e-commerce. So you know, I'll, I'll find out, you know, how many, what orders do we have to ship out that day for e-commerce? I'll try to check in via email or phone call with, you know, our, our various accounts. And then I'm working a lot more with our packaging department as well to try to make sure that that stays up to, up, uh, up to speed. And uh, then at some point, probably wash some dishes and uh, probably mop the <laughs> what floor. What are you talking about? You haven't well. touched dishes in a while. <laughs> That's an interesting thing, though, uh, for, to see how companies have adjusted to all the COVID stuff. What was that like for you going from, you know, selling full-time on the road to trying to sell over the phone or, you know, Zoom or whatever you use? It it was hard. <laughs> I mean, you can't taste it over Zoom. Yeah, really. it was I imagine really the experience hard. of the whole thing is part of the sale. You know, it really depends on the sales channel, kind of how we how we approached it and what we had to do. 60% of our revenue was restaurants and farmers markets prior to the pandemic, mm-hmm. you know, and now they're a fraction of that uh, for obvious reasons. Thankfully, in the end of 2019, we had dipped our toe into e-commerce. You know, we, it was a prior, we wanted to do it. We know it was important. Had to figure out some of the logistics and work out some of the kinks. Thankfully, we did that because then when, we, when the pandemic hit, stay-at-home orders were issued and everybody moved online, then we were able to dial that up in a way that some other small businesses in our category and also that we work with weren't able to do, or at least it took them longer to get there. Uh, you know, we... And an example of that is for the holidays in 2019, we sold about, we have these charcuterie kits. So we pair one meat, one of our meats, a local cheese and some local accoutrement with it. So we, originally it was virtual happy hour charcuterie kits because in March of 2020, that was a novel idea, having a mm-hmm. virtual happy hour with friends. Now it's less exciting, of mm-hmm. course. But right. So we put those together. Then fast forward to the holidays, since we had been working so hard on that, 2019, we sold about 65 of those charcuterie kits. Holidays in 2020, we sold over 1,200. Yeah, that's that's some growth. Yeah, a little bit, well, <laughs> a slight uptick. Yeah, um, but I guess is that so? Is that the products? I know when we were going through when we were doing research and stuff, you had a product that was originally like just a blip on the radar from a revenue perspective that grew to be like 53% of revenue. Yeah. At some point, was it that particular product during um, the pandemic or was it something else? Great question. It wasn't. So those were other products that we developed. So we had the charcuterie kits to put those out. Those were fresh sausages. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had, we, our foundation of the company was cured meats. So salami, chorizo, um, things like that. Then the fresh, we launched the fresh sausages mostly because, you know, if you recall back in April, May, 2020, a lot of really large meat processors were, were shut down. Mm-hmm. They're really unsafe work environments without a pandemic. Right. And then put in the pandemic and they're extremely unsafe. And so when those were shutting down and there were shortages on meat across the country, we thought, okay, well, maybe we can kind of fill some of that gap as well locally. So we got in touch with our suppliers. And that was another advantage of being a small company, mm-hmm. especially, is our supply chain was intact. You know, we're working with small farmers who work with small meat processors and butcher shops and slaughter facilities. And so then they and then we can get the meat very easily. So those then we developed a line of fresh sausages in 2019. We maybe made about 50 pounds the total year. Right. And now we're selling upwards of probably 100 to 200 pounds a week. And so it sounds like that stuck too. it wasn't like, hey, it's a stopgap. And then all the meat processors came back online and, you know, it dropped off. It sounds like it carried forward and, and you had stickiness mm-hmm. in the places where you sell those sausages. Yeah. yeah. We continue to make about two to 300 pounds a week of the fresh sausage. 
Uh, we've got five flavors now, and uh, it also it helps us significantly from a cash flow perspective. Actually, I counted it up yesterday. We have eight now. Eight, eight <laughs> fresh sausage flavors. All right. Probably have a few more this coming out this summer, too. But it really helps from a cash flow perspective for our company because we will, with the curing method, we're looking at at least a 60-day turnaround to see any sort of revenue. So I've paid my, I've purchased the product. 30 days later, I'm paying my farmer, and we see revenue on that maybe another 60 days after that. Mm -hmm. So with our fresh sausage, the meat's in our plant that day. I'm processing it the next day. It's sellable by the end of the week. Right. Is it, you said it's, it takes long to sell it because of the curing process? The curing, yeah. So the, our base products, our salamis, take a minimum of four weeks just to cure. Okay. Then there's a few days added on there for packaging and labeling. But yeah, our base, we're four weeks all the way up to, I've got a prosciutto in there right now that's been hanging for almost two years. Oh, wow. It's yeah. really old meat. Yeah. <laughs> it's old meat. The curing process is more than just hanging it up, right? What goes into that? So the curing of our regular retail salamis that you can pick up at Wylands, mm-hmm. Hills Market downtown, the Black Radish Creamery at both North Markets, and Dorothy Lane in Dayton. We get the meat in each week, uh, cut it up, clean it up, mix it in with some ingredients. We add a lactic acid starter culture that controls a pH drop, which is sort of a food safety hurdle that's required by the USDA. Then you also have a percentage of salt content in there that'll help. And then also at the end, once it's dried, we have a, what's called water activity. It's basically the amount of free moisture in the product, and that determines whether it's shelf-stable or not or ready, ready to eat. Because our meat, our products never are cooked. Mm-hmm. They never see, never get above about 82 degrees. So that's our first step is the fermentation step to drop the pH, because there's been a lot of studies by the USDA saying this is what will control these various bad pathogens and bacteria. Right, the bugs, the things we don't want. Yeah. Correct. <laughs> no, that makes a lot of sense. So it's, it's pretty interesting. So I guess dropping the pH would make it acidic? Yes. So there you go. We don't want it too acidic, though, because then it becomes unpalatable. Mm-hmm. You can also get, uh, can also break down the meats and the fats too much. Mm-hmm. So then it just doesn't taste well and it doesn't dry correctly. Interesting. Okay. Something that I'm always surprised, always blown away with, honestly, with our with this process is how scientific it is. Mm-hmm. I mean, which is kind of a silly. Like I didn't have, we don't have a background, and James was a chef, but my background was in nonprofit management uh, prior to working with North Country. It, our experience has just opened my eyes to food science and how mm-hmm. really fascinating that whole space is. I feel like there's more science to almost any industry you ever like. You're like, ah, this industry can't be that scientific, but then you get into it and there's always science somewhere, right? Even in selling, right? There's science and selling and practicing and A-B testing and all this stuff. It's like science kind of permeates everything, which is always interesting to me. Hey, everybody. We're going to take a quick break here to talk about one of our sponsors, One Columbus. You know, it really couldn't be cooler to have a sponsor and a partner like One Columbus. They are directly in alignment with everything we stand for and everything we're looking to promote here at Conquering Columbus. I mean, they just want to bring the most competitive companies to the area and make everything about the city and the region just one of the greatest places to live in the United States and in the world for that matter. Yeah, they're like the ultimate Columbus hype man. They're trying to bring new businesses here, show them what our strengths are, but also address some of the weaknesses and say, like, this is how we could get better. So for us, we're excited to help promote their goal and help tell the story with them on board. Absolutely. And if you guys want to learn more about One Columbus, check them out at columbusregion.com. That's columbusregion.com. We talked a little bit about how you guys adjusted during the pandemic, but as we're hopefully, fingers crossed, heading towards the tail end of that pandemic, how are things shifting? What type of initiatives are you guys working on right now? 
you had kind of alluded to it before with the fresh sausages continuing. So we want to really continue with that. You know, James had mentioned the cash flow advantages to those products, uh, developing some additional uh, cured meats. We're also working on some initiatives with some other local farmers and other organizations. We've gotten into co-packing a little bit with some small farms, which is a, a really neat opportunity where if it's a small farm in Southern Ohio that doesn't necessarily have the scale where they could supply us on a regular basis, uh, but they bring us some meat, we turn that into cured shelf-stable cured salami for them, and then they have a value-added product available to sell through their farmer's markets or, or online or, or what have you. So trying to scale up uh, some of those those efforts uh, is a priority. Right. So with co-packing, they pay you to do the packing and basically put the product into a sellable state and then they take it and then they'll go sell it. That's right. After that. Yeah. So it's, it's, a, it's nice because it it removes me from the equation, right, right. which is kind of funny. You know, sales and marketing is an expensive part of the of the business, mm-hmm. and uh, and so then that's another sales channel and, and cash flow opportunity for us that doesn't involve us then having to go sell it. That's on that's on the farm. Right, makes sense. And then that would be kind of. I mean, I guess white labeled would be the wrong word, but it's labeled under their brand. Under their, we leave it up to them whether they oh, want to. They want Yeah, if, if they they wanna we want to co-label it. Uh, but yeah, it's hundred percent up to them what they would like. It helps out the small farms a lot, giving them a more value-added product, something different than your standard pork chop or uh, ground pork that most the co- most of the packing houses will give them. Mm-hmm. It's very difficult for those farmers to find even processors. Mm-hmm. Because they don't have the volume. Exactly. It's like you're you're either one to 10 or you're 500 to 1,000. Right. And it's really difficult to find that in between. We don't do any of the harvesting, but just giving them another option, another product to sell to them, and another way to sort of grow their business. Mm-hmm. Uh, sort of the one of the founding ethos of of North Country was working with small local companies, farmers, and helping them grow as we grow, uh, encouraging commerce and encouraging each other as we grow. What are the goals for the future for North Country Charcuterie? What I mean, other than you know, this year obviously continuing to grow more sausages, more cash flow, but Long-term, have you guys thought about where you want to head? Bigger. Bigger is <laughs> better. More efficient. Uh, I want to get into more cooked products. Uh, certainly want to get into more cooked hams, more seasonal items, sort of like that. Increase our footprint, spread out, work mm-hmm. with more small farms, um, help them grow as well. And continue this uh, the charcuterie kit thing for sure, because we really feel like we've stuck on something. Mm-hmm. And... People love those kits. What does what one of those kits cost? There's a couple of different sizes. This, the smallest one is $34.99, and that's one meat, one cheese, and the one accoutrement, and that includes shipping. And then we've got some that are $44.99 and then $64.99. Okay. And then so also, if they wanted to make, that's if you want to make one at home, you just order that online and then Yep, exactly right. Them. Yeah, so we ship them the whole so the whole meat, the whole piece of cheese, and then and then they can go to Instagram, go to North right, Country. Yeah. They can follow us, of course, North Country Charcuterie, yeah. or go visit, you know, maybe your feed. Uh, There's no, there will be no charcuterie. <laughs> no. Maybe, <laughs> maybe a Lunchable every now and then. Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, get creative with it and, and assemble that at home. Well, they'll see They'll see it when, we po- when this episode's posted. It'll at least be up on our Instagram, so they'll see you guys there. So if you're listening to this, then... They're tagged. Go check them out. They're on the Instagram. I think something else to, you know, James had mentioned getting bigger. And, you know, I think we're also at somewhat of an inflection point because we're, we've, we've grown, we've been able to grow uh, a lot in the current facility. We've, you know, each table may be as used for 
making salami, then packaging salami, and then putting together the charcuterie kits. Uh, we've been able to use, you know, we we are going to soon outgrow our current facility, mm -hmm. so we'll need to expand outside out to another facility. Uh, we'd like to offer a, a have a retail uh, store of some kind, either attached there or at some other location. Um, we had uh, participated in the Goldman Sachs uh, 10KSB program in 2019, which is a really phenomenal opportunity for us. And so we had a lot of grand plans that some of those we've already talked about coming into 2020. Of course, we put some of those on hold, but then hopefully we can implement some of those, you know, in 2021, maybe in 2022. Yeah. What was that? The Goldman Sachs? It thing? was called, it's the 10,000 Small Business, basically called 10,000 Small Businesses. It's okay. a program created by Goldman Sachs and Babson College. Uh, they created about 10, 11 years ago uh, on ba Babson's campus but they have created satellite campuses throughout the country and mostly at uh, community colleges. 2019 was the first year that they brought it to Columbus. It had been in Cleveland and Cincinnati, but Ohio is one of the only states where it is in multiple cities. Nice. So they have classes in Cleveland, Columbus, Cincinnati, and Dayton. And they it's, basically took, sorry, go ahead. It's essentially getting a small business degree yeah. in a way. It's, I mean, it's a free program. You apply to get into it and you really get exposure to lots of different avenues and different things you don't really think about in the, your day-to-day -day business. And I participated in the day-to-day -day classes with it and it, with no former business exposure or working mm -hmm. in business, it was very helpful for me to point me in the direction of what to think about, what to look at, how to think about it. And it gave me a day each week for three months to just focus on the business. It got me out of there, got me out of the facility, and we just worked on how to make the business better. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, my biggest advice for anybody thinking about starting a business would be find a book on financials and read it <laughs> because it's, it can seem like a foreign language. And if you don't understand it, it could bite you in the butt. Uh, I mean, we've been doing, I've been in the process of doing conquering Columbus taxes and that gives me a headache. And I'm like, I just need to get a better handle on these things. So I'd imagine that would be, especially when you're talking about like the cash flow piece of it, right? Like that's something that like you might not think about if you've never been in a business environment. Hey, yeah, I'm going to make a profit on this, but it's not going to be for 90 days. And how long, how much runway do I need to make sure that we get to the point where we're making money consistently? But that's pretty cool. I mean, it's, it sounds like a great program, some, something you learn a lot from. So, you know, you guys have both kind of found your way, started a business. Seems like you guys are both pretty happy with where you're at right now. Would you have any advice for our listeners out there? There, you know, a lot of people trying to figure out what they're trying to do, young professionals, some people that want to be entrepreneurs. What would you tell them? I would say don't be afraid to explore. Test it out. Test a new idea. Try to get a side hustle and, and don't be afraid to just just dip your toe into it. Uh, it's it's probably scary and and maybe a little uncomfortable, but then you can you can uh, check off the list something that you don't want to do, which in some cases is even more valuable um, than some, than trying to find out what you do want to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'd agree with that. The best way to learn about it is by doing it. Ask questions. Find another entrepreneur and just ask them questions. How did you figure this out? Uh, what's the first step here? A lot of times they might say, I don't know, I'm still figuring it out. But they will have experiences that they could give you to say, hey, this is what I had happen. This is what I did to fix it. This is what I kind of learned on how to how to move to the next step. That just reminded me, asking questions, you know, that just reminded me too of just, you know, starting a business in Columbus. I really can't think of 
know, we're biased, but I really can't think of a better place to do that because so many uh, people who in other cities might be unapproachable, mm-hmm. they've achieved some leadership position uh, that, but they, you can ask them, you can call them up. You know, we, we're in the lucky position, we're right next to Watershed Distillery um, and Greg Lehman and Dave Rigo were the founders there. Uh, we asked early on, we asked them tons of questions and they were always very helpful. And, then, and, we've, and we've had that with other, other small businesses along the way. We can always pick, we can pick up the phone. You know, I can call Dorothy, the vice president of meat and seafood at Dorothy Lane Market. He's been in the company for 30 years. I can call him up and ask him questions around how should we merchandise our products in a different way. And they want us to be successful as well. Yeah, I think that's, I mean, 100%, that sounds like so unique to Columbus. Like everybody is, there's such a sense of community. Midwest nice. Yeah, Midwest <laughs> nice, exactly. Yeah. You know, but. Own that. Yeah. You can still be like a, a successful person and move quickly. Well, some people are a little slow, mm-hmm. but, and, and be kind, that Midwest nice, you know, that's, it's not, it's a, I think that's a very good right. a- attribute to have. It's looked down as like weak or It's soft. also like an attitude of service, right? Like. Mm-hmm service to your community versus in other parts of the country, I won't name them, but there are some parts of the country where it's like, I'm too busy for you and I'm too important to Or be like the sly, the sly fox approach. In fashion, there's, we, you work with a lot of other countries. Uh, my background was in clothing for a long time and they would, it was like viewed as if I outsmart you and get you to pay too much, I'm not screwing you over. I just did my job well, you know, as mm-hmm. opposed to we could, let's all win versus like push everyone down so that I can succeed right. more. And so I feel like there is, it's, we're not perfect, but the, the Columbus community and in some areas, not all there's, there's definitely yeah, oh yeah. not the best people, but mm-hmm. over, overall, it seems to be approachable, try to help everyone win and make the, make this place better. And that's, I think that's why we're growing so rapidly and seeing so many co- companies succeed. The fake is, is really, uh, sussed out pretty quickly. Right. You can tell people's intent and the, and the, and it tends to rise, mm-hmm. you know, not always, but it tends to, to the best people tend to win. Hey everybody, we're going to take a quick break here to talk about one of our sponsors, Hybeck. It's actually just me and Tim in the booth because, well, Josh is on his way over to the restaurant right now. So unluckily for us, we don't get any special treatment. I don't think he's bringing us back a pizza or anything. I don't think so. I'm a little jealous. We love Hypec. I mean, I go there all the time. Their hot honey pizza they got going right now. Yep. That's what I was going to say. As soon as we had him on the episode, I called in before they even left and ordered it and picked it up on the way out. And it was the best. We're talking about the restaurant, but High Bank's a lot more than just a restaurant. They distill whiskey and gin and vodka. They've got all kinds of cool stuff. I mean, they brought in a couple of different options for us to try recently, and I really like this Midnight Cask. It's a mixture, I think, of whiskey along with a port wine, and it kind of tastes like a Manhattan, but it's like double the strength. If you haven't listened to the episode yet, listen to the episode. I mean, the story behind the organization is great too. So yeah, it's a bunch of local entrepreneurs that just have a passion for making good food and great drinks. They just launched a thing called the Whiskey Society too, which mm-hmm. I joined. And if you really like booze, it's worth checking out. It pays for itself just in the entry fee. And then you'll get cards for drinks every month. They put on events. Right now they're on Zoom, but teach you how to make drinks, tell you what to use, why you use those things. It's definitely for the whiskey enthusiast. I've enjoyed my membership so far. That's for sure. So if you guys like High Bank, if you're looking for a restaurant, somewhere to watch the game. If you're looking to put in an order for a pickup, check out High Bank, man. Their food's great. They're great people. Yeah. And we love their drinks. And get the hot honey pizza. Get the hot honey pizza. I promise you will love it. All right. Now back to the show. Gentlemen, I think that's probably a good place to pivot to our last question of the show. And uh, that is centered around the theme here on Conquering Columbus, and that is live uncomfortably. And without telling you guys too much about why we chose that particular theme for a show about entrepreneurs and business owners, uh, what do you guys think of when you hear the phrase, how's it apply to your lives and careers? And maybe we will start with Duncan. 
I was, I was hoping James could go first. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> nope, I'll go first. You know, I've, I've uh, gotten to know your show a little bit over the, over the last uh, year or two, and I, I always love that question at the end. That I find it so fascinating how many different answers there are. And I've been trying to you know, think about it, too. And, and what always kind of resonated with me was an ethos that I have of saying yes to opportunities, even if they feel out of reach at the time, and really kind of trusting yourself and with you and your team that you'll figure it out along the way at least enough to know once you get there whether that was a good idea or a bad idea to say yes and but you'll you'll learn so much along the way even if it's even if it doesn't feel the best uh when you say yes in the beginning yeah the kind of that shoot for the moon you'll end up in the stars type attitude yeah right? yeah. yeah and james well to go along with that part of the reason i'd be came an entrepreneur was I enjoyed figuring things out. I want to, I'm okay with handling, not knowing the end result, the ambiguity of where the company will go at the end of the day. It's uncomfortable most of the times because <laughs> when's my next paycheck coming? Um, is my staff going to show up tomorrow? Those sort of things, but it's still in the overall picture, it's really enjoyable to me, that, that, that uncertainty. I recognize that I can't master everything being an entrepreneur, but I can live with that because I got to keep moving. It, the, the company doesn't stop. The business doesn't stop. We have to keep moving and be uncomfortable for a while until that goal is reached. Also, working with the USDA <laughs> can be very uncomfortable. Yeah. And I deal with them on a day-to-day -day basis. Uh, we're also trying to get to a SQF audit, which is a safe quality food audit, mm -hmm. which is even more strenuous than USDA. It's very uncomfortable. Yeah, I don't want your job at all. No. <laughs> but it, it'll, it, the end goal is important because once you have one of those, that opens up so many doors. And for instance, you have to have an audit like that to get into Whole Foods. Yep. So once we attain that, we'll have a whole nother market that we're not even in yet. Well, cool. Well, gentlemen, it's been great talking to you, learn more about North Country charcuterie. Um, uh -huh. Appreciate it. your time on the show today. Any last words? I just want to say thanks so much for having us out. Uh, this is really fun. You know, you've had an amazing uh, guest list. Uh, we're honored to be here uh, among among some uh, titans in, uh, in, in Columbus, Ohio, and, and appreciate the listeners and you can uh, uh, check us out, uh, some of those charcuterie kits on uh, on Instagram, and, yeah, and hopefully you don't get too annoyed with some. And of breakfast kit. in a box. And the, oh, yeah, we just launched our uh, North Country breakfast box with sausage and cornmeal and uh, and maple syrup and things like that. Well, congrats. You're the first uh, the first Lunchable company we've ever had on here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, that, but it's, it's awesome to see you guys succeed. Yeah, it's been great. And Conquerors, hopefully you enjoyed that episode. If you did. Leave us a like and don't forget to hit that subscribe button on whatever podcast app you're listening on. And if you guys would like to try some of North Country Charcuterie's products, you can check out Instagram as well as their website, which is northcountrycharcuterie.com. There you go. That's all for today. Appreciate you tuning in. We'll talk to you next week. Oh.